Chapter 29, The Shanty on the Claim. The first thing to do is to dig a well, said Pa next morning. He shouldered his spade and shovel and went whistling toward the slow, while Laura cleared the breakfast table and Ma rolled up her sleeves. Now, girls, she said cheerfully, all together with a will and we'll soon have things to rights. But even Ma was puzzled that morning. The little claim shanty was as full as it would hold. Everything must be carefully fitted into the space. Laura and Carrie and Ma lifted and tugged the furniture this way and that, stood and thought and tried again. Mary's rocking chair and the table were still outdoors when Pa came back. Well, Caroline, your, is, your well is all dug, he sang out, six feet deep and good cold water and quicksand. Now I'll hammer together a cover for it so Grace can't fall in, and that'll be done. He looked at the disorder and pushed back his hat to scratch his head. Can't you get it all in? Yes, Charles, said Ma. Where there's a will, there's a way. It was Laura who thought how to fit in the beds. The trouble was that they now had three bedsteads. When they stood side by side, there was not room for Mary's rocking chair. Laura thought of setting the little bedsteads together, tight in the corner, and putting the foot of the big bedstead against them, with its headboard against the other wall. Then we'll hang a curtain around our beds, she said to Ma, and another curtain across beside yours, and that leaves room for the rocking chair against your curtain. That's my smart girl, said Ma. Against the foot of Laura and Mary's bed, the table fitted under the window, and Pa was sawing in that wall. Ma's rocking chair went in beside the table, and the whatnot fitted in that corner beside the door. In the fourth corner stood the stove, with the dish cupboard made of packing box behind it, and the trunk fitted between the stove and Mary's rocking chair. There, said Ma, and the boxes will go under the beds. It couldn't be better. At dinner, Pa said, before night, I'll finish this half of the house. And he did. He put in a window beside the stove to the south. He hung in the doorway a door bought from the lumber yard in the town. Then all over the outside of the shanty, he put black tar paper, fastening it down with lathe. Laura helped him to unroll the wide, black, tarry-smelling paper down over the slanting roof and the walls of fresh, clean, pine-scented boards. She helped him cut it, and she held it down in the wind while he nailed on the lath. Tar paper was not pretty, but it stopped all the cracks and kept out the wind. Well, there's one good day's work done, Pa said, when they sat down to supper. Yes, said Ma, and tomorrow we'll finish unpacking and be finally settled. I must do a baking, too. It's a blessing to have yeast once more. I feel as though I never want to see another sourdough biscuit. Your light bread is good, 
and so are your sourdough biscuits, Pa told you. Well, we won't have either if I don't rustle something to bake them with. Tomorrow, I'll haul a load of wood from Lake Henry. May I go with you, Pa? Laura asked. Me too, Carrie begged. No, girls, said Pa. I'll be gone quite a while, and Ma will need you. I want to see trees, Carrie exclaimed. I don't blame her, said Ma. I would like to see some trees myself. They would rest my eyes from all this prairie with not a tree, not even a bush to be seen in any direction. This country is going to be covered with trees, Pa said. Don't forget that Uncle Sam is tending to that. There's a tree claim on every section, and settlers have got to plant 10 acres of trees on every tree claim. In four or five years, you'll see trees every way you look. I'll be looking in all directions at once then, Ma smiled. There's nothing more restful than shady groves in the summertime. And they'll break the wind, too. Well, I don't know, said Pa. Trees spread, and you know what it was like back in the big woods of Wisconsin, and grubbing out stumps and breaking our backs on the sprouting hoe to keep the land clear for crops. It's restful to have a clear prairie land like this if you're going to farm. But Uncle Sam don't seem to look at it that way. So don't worry, Caroline. You're going to see plenty of trees all over this country. Likely they'll stop the wind and change the climate too, just as you say. They were all too tired for music that night. Soon after supper, they were all asleep. And bright and early next morning, Pa drove away toward Lake Henry. The whole world was gay in the early sunshine, and Laura led Ellen to drink at the well. All over the prairie, little white blossoms of wild onions were dancing in the wind. Down the slope of the little hill below the shanty, patches of wild crocus spread yellow and blue in the young grass, and everywhere the sheep sorrel undercurled its, uncurled its pink lavender flowers above sleek clover-shaped leaves. Laura bent down to pick them as she walked and slowly nibbled the delightfully fresh, sour little stems and petals. From the grassy swell where she picketed, where she picketed Ellen, she could see the town beyond the, to the north. Big slow carved between and spread wide southwest, covering covering acres upon acres with its rough high grass. All the rest of the whole enormous prairie was a green carpet flowered with spring blossoms. Big girl as she was, Laura spread her arms wide to the wind and ran against it. She flung herself on the flowery grass and rolled like a colt. She lay in the soft, sweet grasses and looked at the great blueness above her and the high pearly clouds sailing in it. She was so happy that tears came into her eyes. Suddenly she thought, have I got a grass stain on my dress? She stood up and anxiously looked and there was a green stain on the calico. Soberly, she knew that she should be helping Ma and she hurried to the little dark tar paper shanty. It's tiger-striped, she said to Ma. 
What is, Laura? Ma asked, looking up startled. She was putting her books on the bottom shelf of the whatnot. This shanty, said Laura, striped with yellow leaf on the tar paper. Tigers are yellow with black stripes, Mary objected. You girls unpack your boxes now, said Ma. We'll arrange all our pretty things on these upper shelves. On the shelf above, shelf above the books, there was room for Mary's and Lars and Carrie's little glass boxes. Each box had frosted flowers on its side and colored flowers on the lid. The three made that shelf all bright and gay. Ma stood the clock on the fourth shelf. Its brown wooden case spread up in a carved lacy pattern from its round glass face and behind glass painted with gilt flowers. Its brass pendulum wagged to and fro, tick-tock, tick-tock. On the smallest, very top shelf above the clock, Laura set her white china jewel box with the tiny gold cup and saucer on its top, and Carrie put beside it her brown and white china dog. It's very pretty, I'm sure, Ma approved them. When the door is shut, the whatnot quite dresses up the room. Now for the China Shepherdess. Then she looked around quickly and exclaimed, Mercy, is my bread sponge risen already? The bread sponge was lifting the lid of the pan. Ma hurriedly floured the breadboard and kneaded the dough. Then she got dinner. She was putting the pan of light biscuits in the oven when Pa came driving the wagon up the hill. Behind him, the wagon box was piled high with willow brush that he brought for summer fuel, for there were no real trees at Lake Henry. Hello, Flutter Budget. Let dinner wait, Caroline, he called. I've got something to show you as soon as I pick at the team. Quickly, he slipped the harness off the horses and dumped it across the wagon pond. He hurried the horses away to their picket ropes and came hurrying back. Then he lifted a horse blanket from the front of the wagon box. There you are, Caroline, he beamed. I covered them so they wouldn't dry out in the wind. What, Charles? Ma and Laura craned to see into the wagon box, and Carrie climbed up the wheel. Trees, Ma exclaimed. Little trees, Laura shouted. Mary, Pa's brought little trees. They're cottonwoods, Pa said. They all grew from the seeds of the lone tree that we saw across the prairie when we were coming out from Brookings. It's a giant of a tree when you get close to it. It's seeded all along the edge of Lake Henry. I dug enough of these seedlings to make a windbreak clear around, clear around the shanty. You're going to have your trees growing, Caroline, quick as I can get them set in the ground. He took his spade out of the wagon and said, the first one is your tree, Caroline. Pick it out and tell me where you want it. Just a minute, Ma answered. She hurried to the stove and shut its draft and set back the pot of potatoes. Then she picked out her tree. I want it right here by the door, she said. With his spade, Pa cut a square in the sod and lifted the grass. He dug a hole and loosened the soft soil until it was fine and crumbly. Then carefully he lifted the little tree and carried it without shaking the earth from its roots. Hold the top straight, Caroline, he said. Ma held the small tree straight by its top 
while with his spade, Pa sifted the earth over its roots until the hole was filled. Then he stamped the earth down firmly and stood back. Now you can look at a tree, Caroline, your own tree. We'll give each one of them a pail full of water after dinner. But first, we'll get their roots in the ground. Come, Mary, it's your turn next. Pa dug another hole in a straight line from the first. He brought another tree from the wagon, and Mary carefully held it upright while Pa planted it. That was Mary's tree. Yours is next, La, said Pa. We'll make a square windbreak all around the house. Ma's tree and mine by the door. A tree for each of you girls on each side of ours. Laura held her tree while Pa planted it. Then Carrie held hers. The four little trees stood up straight from the patches of dark earth in the grass. Now Grace must have hers, said Pa. Where's Grace? He called to Ma. Caroline, bring Grace out here to plant a tree. Ma looked out of the shanty. She's out there with you, Charles, she said. I guess she's behind the house. I'll get her, Carrie said. And she ran, calling, Grace! In a minute, she came from behind the shanty, her eyes large and and scared, and the freckles standing out from her pale face. Pa, I can't find her. She must be close by, said Ma. And she called, Grace! Grace! And Pa shouted too, Grace! Don't stand there. Go look for her, Carrie. Laura, go, Ma said. She exclaimed, the well, and ran down the path. The cover was on the well, so Grace had not fallen into it. She can't be lost, Pa said. I left her outdoors. I thought she was with you, said Ma. She can't be lost, Pa insisted. She wasn't out of my sight a minute. He shouted, Grace! Grace! Laura ran panting up the hill. She could not see Grace anywhere. Along the edge of the big slow toward the silver lake, she looked, and over the flowery prairie. Quickly she looked, quickly, quickly she looked, again and again, seeing nothing but wild flowers and grasses. Grace! Grace! She screamed. Grace! Pa met her on the slope as she ran down. And Ma came up, gasping for breath. She must be in sight, Laura, Pa said. You must have missed seeing her. She can't be. Terribly, he exclaimed, the big slow. He turned and ran. Ma ran after him, calling back, Carrie, you stay with Mary. Laura, look for her. Go look. Mary stood in the doorway of the shanty, calling, Grace, Grace. More faintly from the big slow came Pa's shouts and Ma's. Grace, where are you? Grace! If Grace was lost in the big slow, how could anyone find her? The old dead grass stood higher than Laura's head, over acres and acres for miles and miles. The deep mud sucked at bare feet, and there were water holes. Laura could hear where she stood the sound of coarse, slow grass in the wind. A muffling sound that almost smothered even Ma's shrill call, Grace. Laura felt cold and sick. Why don't you look for her, Carrie cried. Don't stand there. Do something. I'm going myself. 
Ma told you to stay with Mary, said Lonnie, so you'd better stay. She told you to look, Carrie screamed. Go look, go look, Grace, Grace. Quiet, let me think, Laura screeched, and she started running across the sunny prairie. Chapter 30 Where Violets Grow Laura was running straight toward the south. Grass whipped soft against her bare feet. Butterflies fluttered over the flowers. There wasn't a bush nor a weed that Grace could be hidden behind. There was nothing, nothing but grass and flowers swaying in the sunshine. If she were little and playing all by herself, Laura thought, she wouldn't go into the big, dark, slow. She wouldn't go into the mud and the tall grass. Oh, Grace, why didn't I watch you, she thought. Sweet, pretty, little, helpless sister. Grace! Grace, she screamed. Her breath caught and hurt in her side. She ran on and on. Grace must have gone this way. Maybe she chased a butterfly. She didn't go into Big Slow. She didn't climb the hill. She wasn't there. Oh, baby sister, I couldn't see you anywhere, east or south, on this hateful prairie. Grace! The horrible, sunny prairie was so large. No lost baby could ever be found on it. Ma's calling and Pa's shouts came from the big slow. They were thin cries, lost in the wind, lost on the enormous bigness of the prairie. Lara's breathing hurt her sides under the ribs. Her chest was smothering and her eyes were dizzy. She ran up a low slope. Nothing, nothing, not a spot of shadow was anywhere on the level prairie all around her. She ran on. And suddenly the ground dropped before her. She almost fell down a steep bank. There was Grace. There in a great pool of blue sat Grace. The wind shone on her golden hair, blowing in the wind. She looked up at Laura with big eyes as blue as violets. Her hands were full of violets. She held them up to Laura and said, Sweet! Sweet. Lara sank down and took Grace in her arms. She held Grace carefully and panted for breath. Grace leaned over her arm to reach more violets. They were surrounded by masses of violets blossoming above low spreading leaves. Violets covered the flat bottom of this large round hollow. All around this lake of violets, Grassy banks rose almost straight up to the prairie level. There in the round, low place, the wind hardly disturbed the fragrance of the violets. The sun was warm there. The sky was overhead. The green walls of grass curved all around. And butterflies fluttered over the crowding violet faces. Laura stood up and lifted Grace to her feet. She took the violets that Grace gave her and clasped her hand. Come, Grace, she said, we must go home. She gave one look around the little hollow while she helped Grace climb the bank. 
Grace walked so slowly that for a little while Laura carried her. Then she let her walk, for Grace was nearly three years old and heavy. Then she lifted her again. So carrying Grace and helping her walk, Laura brought her to the shanty and gave her to Mary. Then she ran toward the big slow, calling as she ran. Pa! Ma! She's here! She kept on calling until Pa heard her and shouted for Ma, far in the tall grass. Slowly together, they fought their way out of the big slow and slowly came up to the shanty, draggled and muddy and very tired and thankful. Where did you find her, Ma? Ma asked, taking Grace in her arms and sinking into her chair. In a... Laura hesitated and said, Pa, could it really be a fairy ring? It is perfectly round. The bottom is perfectly flat. The bank around it is the same height all the way. You can't see a sign of that place until you stand on the bank. It's very large, and the whole bottom of it is covered solidly thick with violets. A place like that couldn't just happen, Pa. Something made it. You are too old to be believing in fairies, Laura, Ma said gently. Charles, you must not encourage such fancies. But it isn't. It isn't like a real place, truly, Laura protested. And smell how sweet the violets are. They aren't like ordinary violets. They do make the whole house sweet, Ma admitted. But they are real violets, and there are no fairies. You are right, Laura. Human hands didn't make that place, Pa said. But your fairies were big, ugly brutes with horns on their head and humps on their back. That place is an old buffalo wallow. You know buffaloes are wild cattle. They paw up the ground and wallow in the dust, just as cattle do. For ages, the buffalo herds had these wallowing places. They pawed up the ground and the wind blew the dust away. Then another herd came along and pawed up more dust in the same place. They went always to the same places. Why did they, Pa? Laura asked. I don't know, said Pa. Maybe because the ground was mellowed there. Now the buffalo are gone, and grass grows over their wallows. Grass and violets. Well, Masa. All is well that ends well. And here it is long past dinner time. I hope you and Carrie didn't let the biscuits burn, Mary. No, Ma, Mary said. And Carrie showed her the biscuits wrapped in clean cloth to keep warm, and the potatoes drained and mealy dry in their pot. And Laura said, Sit still, Ma, and rest. I'll fry the salt pork and make the gravy. No one but Grace was hungry. They ate slowly, and then Pa finished planting a windbreak. Ma helped Grace hold her own little tree while Pa said it firmly. When all the trees were planted, Carrie and Laura gave them each a full pail of water from the well. Before they finished, it was time to get supper. Well, Pa said at the table, we'll, we're settled at last on our homestead claim. Yes, said Ma. All but one thing. Mercy, what a day this has been. 
I didn't get time to drive the nail for the bracket. I'll tend to it, Caroline, as soon as I drink my tea, Pa said. He took the hammer. He took the hammer from his toolbox. Under the bed and drove a nail into the wall between the table and the whatnot. Now bring on your bracket and the china shepherdess, he said. Ma brought them to him. He hung the bracket on the nail and stood the china shepherdess on its shelf. Her little china shoes, her tight china bodice, and her golden hair were as bright as they had been so long ago in the big woods. Her china skirts were as wide and white, her cheeks as pink, and her eyes blue and sweet as ever. And the bracket that Pa had carved for Ma's Christmas present so long ago was still without a scratch, and even more glossily polished than, that, than it was when it was new. Over the door, Pa hung his rifle and his shotgun, and then he hung on a nail above them a bright new horseshoe. Well, he said, looking around at the snugly crowded shanty. A short horse is soon curried. This is our tightest squeeze yet, Caroline. But it's only a beginning. Ma's eyes smiled into his eyes, and he said to Laura, I could sing you a song about that horseshoe. She brought him the fiddle box, and he sat down in the doorway and tuned the fiddle. Ma settled in her chair to rock Grace to sleep. Softly, Laura washed the dishes and Carrie wiped them while Pa played the fiddle and sang. We journey along quite contented in life and try to live peaceful with all. We keep ourselves free from all trouble and strife and we're glad when our friends on us call. Our home, it is happy and cheerful and bright. We're content and we ask nothing more. And the reason we prosper, I'll tell to you now, there's a horseshoe hung over the door. Keep the horseshoe hung over the door. It will bring you good luck evermore. If you would be happy and free from all care, keep the horseshoe hung over the door. It sounds rather heathenish to me, Charles, Ma said. Well, anyway, Pa replied, I wouldn't wonder if we do pretty well here, Caroline. In time, we'll build more rooms on this house. Maybe have a driving team and a buggy. I'm not going to plow up much grass. We'll have a garden and a little field, but mostly raise hay and cattle. Where so many buffalo ranged, it must be a good country for cattle. The dishes were done. Laura carried the dishpan some distance from the back door and flung the water far over the grass where tomorrow's sun would dry it. The first stars were pricking through the pale sky. A few lights twinkled yellow in the little town, but the whole great plain of the earth was shadowy. There was hardly a wind, but the air moved and whispered to itself in the grasses. Laura almost knew what it said. Lonely and wild and eternal were land and water and sky and the air blowing. The buffalo are gone, Laura thought. And now we are homesteaders. Read the next chapter. Read the next chapter. Read the next chapter. Read the next chapter. Chapter 31. Mosquitoes. 
You must build a stable for the horses, Pa said. It won't always be warm enough for them to stay outdoors, and a bad storm might come even in the summer. They must have shelter. Ellen, too, Laura asked. Cattle are better off outdoors in the summer, Pa told her, but I like to have horses in a stable at night. Laura held boards for Pa. She handed him tools and brought nails while he built the stable at the west of the house against the little hill. It would be sheltered there on the west and the north when the cold winter winds were blowing. The days were warm. Mosquitoes came out of the big slow at sundown and sang their high, keen song all night as they swarmed around Ellen, biting her and sucking the blood until she ran around and around on her picket rope. They went into the stable and bit the horses until they pulled at their halters and stamped. They came into the claim shanty and bit everyone there until great blotches raised on faces and hands. Their singing and the sting of their bites made night a torment. This will never do, Pa said. You must have a mosquito bar on the windows and door. It's the big slow, Ma complained. The mosquitoes come from there. I wish we were farther away from it. But Pa liked the big slow. There are acres and acres of hay there that anyone can have for the cutting, he told Ma. No one will ever take up homesteads in the big slow. There's only upland hay on our place. But with the big slow so near, we can always cut hay there, too, and have all we need. Besides, all the prairie grass is full of mosquitoes, too. I'll go to town today and get some mosquito bar. Pa brought yards of pink mosquito bar from town and strips of lumber to make a frame for a screen door. While he made the door, Ma tacked mosquito bar over the windows. Then she tacked it onto the door frame. Pa hung the screen door. That night, he built a smudge of old, damp grass so the, wood, so the smoke would drift before the stable door. Mosquitoes would not go through the smoke. Pa made another smudge so Ellen could stand in its smoke, and she went at once and stayed there. Pa made sure there was no dry grass near the smudges and built them up so that they would last all night. There, he said. I guess that fixes the mosquitoes. Chapter 32 Evening Shadows Fall Sam and David stood quietly resting in the stable with the smoke screen before the door. Ellen on her picket rope lay comfortably in the smoke from the smudge. No mosquitoes could get at them. There was not one of the singing pests inside the claim shanty. They could not come through the mosquito bar over the door and the windows. Now we are all snug, Pa said. Settled at last on our homestead. Bring me the fiddle, Laura, and we'll have a little music. Grace was safely in her bed with Carrie beside her. Ma and Mary sat rocking gently in the shadows. The moonlight shone through the southern window and touched Pa's face and hands and the fiddle as the bow moved smoothly over the strings. Laura sat near Mary and watched it as she thought how the moonlight would be shining in the fairy ring where the violets grew. It was just the night for fairies to be dancing there. Pa was singing with the fiddle. In Scarlet Town, where I was born, there was a fair maid dwelling. And every youth cried, well-a-wah, her name was Barbary Allen. 
all in the merry month of May, when green buds they were swelling. Young Johnny Grove on his deathbed lay for love of Barbary Allen. Laura drew the curtains as she and Mary joined Carrie and Grace in their tiny bedroom. And as she fell asleep, still thinking of violets and fairy rings and moonlight over the wide, wide land, where their own, very own homestead lay, Pa and the fiddle were softly singing, Home, home, sweet, sweet home. Be it ever so humble, there's no place like home. The End